Wilkinson here. Today, my guest is Vinny Rotallo. Say hi, Vinny. Hey, how are you? So we chatted a little bit before we go on here, as I do with each of my guests. You have an interesting life story. Tell us a little about growing up. What was your story? Growing up? Uh, well, my parents got divorced when I was four. And my mom had a move-in boyfriend immediately. My childhood wasn't the best, like most people's. So they had a little bit of a challenge. I grew up in a house where I was supposed to think my dad was a bad guy. And you weren't living with him. I wasn't living with him. My mom had custody. Um, and we had a stepdad who had a construction company. So he had a lot of money. So in order for us to have a good life, my mom painted my dad out to be a bad guy. So from 4 to 14, I thought my dad was a bad guy. We couldn't have pictures of him in the house. My sister had to get her own phone line so my dad could reach us there. He had to pick us up at my aunt's down the street when we went over there every other weekend. So growing up with that kind of screwed my head up a little bit until then I was 14 and that's when my mother passed away oh. and I was forced to move in with my father. When I was 14, she had picked me up from school. She had a little bit of a drinking problem. She had a big drinking problem. And my sister and I had been collecting her VO bottles, which is whiskey, uh, under a cabinet where we were going to confront her with probably a few days before this even happened. And she picked me up, brought me home, and uh, I went in my room and watched Days of Our Lives while she made me a snack uh, steak like any other 14-year-old. <laughs> and then I heard her call my name once, and then a second time, and then a third time, there heard a thud to the floor, and I ran into the kitchen, and she was on her back and had wet her pants already, and I went to the floor and tried to wake her, and saw she hit her head, but she was turning blue, so I ran to the phone, I called 911, and they told me to calm down, and um, I, they coached me on CPR, which I'd never done before, obviously, and I remember getting her last breath, and then the lady told me to sit tight that the ambulance and them were going to be there shortly. And then she just hung up on me, like hung up with me, didn't wait with me. She did. She did. But the ambulance should have. I know, isn't that kind of crazy? Yeah. So then, That's and not what they do on TV either, but the might They showed up and they worked on her in the kitchen for an hour and they found like her Dexatrim she used to take. I don't know if you know what Dexatrim is. No. It's a diet pill that okay. used to be that makes your heart race. And uh, they found a glass that was half full of VO and asked me if it was mine and said no. And um, then my sister showed up, or I called my sister first and told her what had happened, and she didn't believe me. And then she finally came over, and before you know it, the whole neighborhood was over at my house. And they brought her to the hospital and worked on her for an hour, and then they got a heartbeat, and we said we didn't want her back like that. She wouldn't want to be back like that. So we lost her, and then um, I was forced to move in with my father, who I'd hated, which I didn't know why I hated him until I went to therapy. And my first therapy session ever, my therapist took a phone call of our session <laughs> and which is really, I guess, unprofessional. Very. <laughs> and he got the, my new therapist found out and I don't know what she did, how, how she took care of it, but she was pissed. And so I've been in therapy since because it kind of screwed me up. I was a mama's boy. So and one of the last things my mom said to me, because at 14, you know everything, you know what I mean? You I just tell my mom to F off. I used to do all kinds of nasty things. And um, and she told us, asked me why I didn't love her. One of the last things she said to me. And so 
that kind of stuck on me. Anyway, I moved in with my father, resented him, didn't know why until I figured out that my mom had brainwashed me some sorts. And I don't think she realized what she did, but um, she did the best job she could, which some people aren't supposed to have children. And I think she was probably one of those people, but she did what she could. So then uh, I moved in with my father. I forced to move in with my father and my sister eventually moved in. My sister and I used to fight all the time, but I think that's horrible to say, but my mother's death brought my sister and I closer together. And so I talked to my sister like once a week still and I talk to my dad two or three times a week now so our relationships have gotten stronger um I'm still my dealing with all this I haven't dealt with it quite yet I haven't found a therapist that will <laughs> listen to me when I tell them I want to talk about my I, if I try to steer away from talking about my mother don't let me but they always let me so because I was trying to find a way I don't want to deal with it so so you're living with your dad and I and I assume that Gradually, you, your relationship changed then? I mean, you understood that you began to understand that you'd been brainwashed? Yeah, and, and my father and I, we wrote him this horrible letter. I remember him showing it to me, and, you know, I wrote him another one, and I apologized, and I love my dad more than anything now. He's the most, he's like my role model. Oh, um, that's cool. And I wish I could be more like him. Um, so, we have made up, and I, I mean, we've had our differences, like... <laughs> some other things that have happened, like him catching me smoking pot or oregano, which I thought was pot. <laughs> and I still got in trouble for it. <laughs> well, you're Italian. Don't right. I do oregano and not pot? <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, how old was I? I was probably 15 or 16. Oh, that's pretty funny. And um, Did the oregano make you high? <laughs> and I remember smelling it. I'm like, I don't know if this is really pot. And so, okay. well, nobody sold that to you though, right? Oh, they did. Oh, they, they sold you oregano? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, and then anyway, for that. And then, uh, so then actually, eventually I went to college. Well, I went to City College in Fresno because I graduated with, <laughs> graduated high school at 1.9, but I knew I was going to go away to college and I didn't want to take the SAT. So I went to City College and I got a graduate at 3.7. So, Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, so you kind of pulled yourself up. I did. So then I went to Chico State and my first year, they, most of the classes told me I didn't have to come to class, which I wish they wouldn't have said that because I didn't go to any of the classes. I said, Why would they tell you that? Because you have to go, just make sure you're there for the final and you're there for the whatever test, whatever there's a test. So I'm like, huh. Oh. I guess I don't need to go to class. So eventually I got on academic because I hate school so much. So knowing that, I figured I could just pass and just read it on my own. But clearly I didn't because I got put on academic probation. And eventually I ended up going to the fire academy in paradise, ironically enough. And I lived at a fire station up there and figuring out. Yeah, ironic because the fire thing burned down, right? Yeah, the whole city's gone to hell. <laughs> so I uh, failed the EMT test. I loved I wanted to be a fireman so bad, um, but I failed the MT test twice, so I had to leave. And then I decided to go back home, and I decided to go to the Coast Guard. And then my knee blew out from a prior ski injury that I had had, and I was not supposed to ever go to the Coast Guard, I found out. And I had to wait till my knee was 100% back to normal before they'd send me home. So I got to watch my class graduate. Well, I was still in the uh, medical it, in Cape May, New Jersey. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yeah, that did suck. <laughs> and Semantic came back home and I was like suicidal. So I'm like, I can't do anything. This sucks. And I got a job at George Brown's Fitness. I think it was at the gym. And um, I started dating this girl because I thought I still liked girls. And, and you were how old then? I was oof, 24. Okay. Maybe younger. 
then I, I met somebody and they knew I was gay. Everyone knew I was, I mean, except me. And um, <laughs> I tried to find it a few times, but back then it was like, they had this thing called the confidential connection. It wasn't online. You don't see pictures. It was all on the telephone or AOL chat rooms. So it's very different than what it is now. So right. it's very discreet. And I have to go to these computer labs because I didn't have a computer like that at home. You remember what it was like way back when. I was probably married at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually I met someone. He's like, you know, I have a good idea. You should go to LA and try to be a trainer there. And I thought about it. And I thought, you know, I can be myself. I could not have to worry about anything. So I got a job at Gold's Gym Hollywood. And I packed up my car. I, it was all based on commission. So it was kind of ballsy. I had $1,200 in my pocket. That was it. And I chanced it to go move there. And I found an apartment in this horrible area in Hollywood. Before you knew it, I was their top trainer there. And so luckily I was making money. And um, so then I uh, started working there. And then uh, I had this lady adjust my back one day because it was bugging me. Um, this was at the gym? This is at the gym. Okay. And I'd been there for about a year now. Okay. The next day I was watching the Grammys. It was in February, I think. And I couldn't get up off the floor. And it's like, it took all my strength to pull myself up. So I called my grandma and I told her, I'm like, yeah, it's like my legs are so tired. She's like, well, you need to get your ass to the, the, the medical, the hospital, whatever. So I called my friend, said, is there any way you can come get me? Cause I don't think I could drive and take me to the uh, Cedars. So I go to Cedars and they see me by now it's probably been 20 minutes. I couldn't get out of the car at all. So they had a good wheelchair and they huge weight in the ER. I went bypassed everybody and they brought me right back into the, uh, ER area and uh, they said we're gonna have to give you a spinal tap and so he's like I looked at the needle and I started to have a panic attack <laughs> this needle's huge it's big yeah so I uh, and then they called my dad and they said we think your son might be paralyzed and he might be for the rest of his life and you might want to get down here I uh, already been having a panic attack and they give me the four shots they give you before they give you the spinal tap or the worst the spinal tap didn't bother me at all and they're like don't move I was like don't work me because I couldn't move at all I'll anyway so they get the spinal tap and then they did all these other tests on me and I had a thing called Guillain-Barre syndrome and I was in the hospital for three months and I, they told me I'd leave out of there in a walker, but I left in a wheelchair still. Well, and how much of your body was, he was paralyzed. So what part of your body? Probably from my teeth down. Really? Yeah. And, um, I was in ICU for three weeks because my lungs were shutting down. And so I was, uh, in really good shape. I just did a fitness magazine, um, layout right before all this happened. And I was meeting with an agency to maybe shoot a, a commercial, a national commercial and all this. And then um, this happened to me and uh, you, know, you just got to take what you can take. But I was about to give up midway through because I could, it's so hard to breathe and just sit up for a minute was exhausting to me. So when I told, told them, they, I had on my thing to pull the plug if I have to be on a ventilator and they convinced me to just sign that and say to get rid of that. So I did, and then I figured I, mind over matter is the only way I was going to make it through this. And I knew I could beat it, and I did. And I, eventually, I was learning how to walk, talk, eat, write, everything again. It took 17 weeks to do that. What what causes something like that? There's no known cause or cure. They have no idea. Most women in their 50s get I said in the news show because I was on hard copy and uh, on the local news stations for the gym in the hospital, I guess. And they did a story on me. And later to find out, you know, four months before I went to the hospital, I had gotten catastrophic insurance because my dad's insurance had cut me off. And catastrophic insurance doesn't quite cover the therapy I needed to learn how to walk again. The insurance lady, whoever they are that comes in and makes you sign all those papers, came in and said, look, this is what they're going to cover. 
And if this is what you get, you're not going to walk the same again. And so she's like, you do whatever you can do. Whatever so this is the insurance consultant at the hospital. hospital yeah. Right? Tell and she's like, okay. whatever you can do to get that coverage. So I called them. Or they call, I called them. Yeah. And I said, this is what it's covering. Is that right? It's like three days a week for an hour a day or two days a week. And she's like, yeah, that's all your, your insurance covers. And I'm like, well, when they do a follow-up story and ask me why I'm not walking normal or any of that stuff, I'm going to tell them it's because Blue Cross cut me off. And she's like, are you threatening us? Because if you're threatening us, we're going to turn involved. I'm like, I'm not threatening you, but I'm telling you, stating a fact. When they ask me, I'm not going to lie to them. I'm going to tell them because you guys cut me off. She put me on hold and I got five days a week, <laughs> two hours a day of calling insurance. Good move. But it just made me sad because if there was no news story, enough people who don't have a news story. Right. You know what they would go through. Yeah. And yeah. it suck. They wouldn't be able to walk the same insurance in this well, country. Insurance sucks. companies. Yeah. Supplements. And our medical whole system sucks yeah. in this country, but it's another story. So eventually I had a hundred percent recovery. I have a little bit of uh, chronic fatigue syndrome, I think. Is what well, talk about, you tell me earlier about your bill at the hospital. So my bill was over a million dollars and the hospital wrote it off because of the advertising I got them on the news and everything. The gym raised $27,000 for me. They had a jar up at the gym. Um, wow. Yeah. And some like, uh, what's his name? Mickey Rourke, I think donated money to me. And cause the gym has a lot of famous people go there. Right. People like that, which is kind of cool. And, um, well, I can see where that was a story. Cause I mean, he, you were obviously a trainer, you're a good specimen, shall we say. And then you get, you know, all of a sudden you're paralyzed. Bam. The gym was awesome to me. Um, like my boss, Steve Sweeter at the time there, it was awesome. They all took care of me really well. And when I worked, went back to work, wasn't as a trainer as like as an assistant manager and all that. So they really, they had my back and, um, which was really good. Then after that, I, uh, so how long did that whole from watching the Rammies and realizing there's a problem till you said I came back, I'm a hundred percent. What kind of time frame was that? Oh, that was probably something too, probably a year, a year. Okay. Yeah. But I was also, there's three other people or two other people in the hospital. One guy, there's three other people. One guy passed away. With the yeah, same thing as you thing. Wow. But I was in really good shape, which helped me and right. young, which helped my everything. It's a, your neuron, neurotransmitter sends signals to your myelin sheath, which helps you move your fingers and everything. All my myelin sheath was destroyed. So wow. my neurotransmitters were sending signals to nothing. So I had to wait for them to repair. But since I was in decent shape and I was young, they repair quickly. Some people get left a souvenir, like the doctor had people come visit me with limps or the whole face was still paralyzed and not moving at all. And I'm like, can you quit sending people to come see me just to show me that they're alive and they're walking? But I'm like, that's not helping me out at all. Right. So, so was your chin like paralyzed? You said you're up to your chin. All the way my teeth. Yeah. Everything. I didn't feel anything. So wow. I did feel everything. Excuse me. I did feel everything. It just wouldn't move. Right. So it was very, it's not like a numbness. So, so like the, the engine was running, but it wasn't hooked to the transmission. Right. <laughs> well, they would give me yeah. every day to hit my feet with a needle. And I'm like, yeah, I could feel that, but nothing's moving. I think one or two times I couldn't feel it because of the, um, what's it called when you're, uh, everything's tingling all the time. Like you have ants in your feet. It's right. Like right. Neuropathy. Right. So I was on this pill called Neurotin, which has been pulled, I think off the market now, but I didn't have right. any side effects of it. Right. But I was on that forever because of the tingling in my hands and my feet. And so, uh, 
And all this, you were what, 24, you said? Or? 24, yeah. 24, okay. So then I got better and I did a photo shoot with Kauai, just, which made me feel good that I was kind of getting, so I was trying to, as best I can, to get back in shape. Had you recovered some of the weight you lost? Yeah. At that definitely, point? Yeah. So then I did that and I, I decided to go into porn. Oh. <laughs> so, so, all right. So why did you do that? The porn? Yeah. What was the attraction? Well, to be honest with you, I had a little bit of a drug problem and I didn't tell you this part before, but I had a little bit of a drug problem and I was in rehab, figured out what can I do to still do drugs and to maintain, um, and make a living. So I came up with porn, you know what I mean? So I'd be able to do porn escort and do drugs. I'm not real familiar with it. So is there a lot of drug use in that industry? They say no, but yes. I mean, there was one shoot I did where the the director had, whatever you guys need is in the kitchen. Anything, (laughs) every drug you can imagine. I'm like, wow, crazy. Yeah. Uh, Most people are. Yeah. And there's one guy that was like, shot a scene with um, giving me a blowjob and I had to slap him in the face because he felt crossed over on G to wake him up. Like, like that kind of stuff. (laughs) So So, yeah, there was enough in it. So, um, and so that happened. And then 2011, well, I went to rehab and, um, well, three rehabs (laughs) and eventually one took. So you're in porn. So then what? So then I decided to do a shoot in Palm Springs uh, for a company called Studio 2000. And I was living in Long Beach at the time with these two people that taking care of them and supporting them because they had no jobs. And um, these are two guys, two guys. And people on set at this were asking me for drugs and I, that's not who I want to be. And that's not what I wanted to do. So I walked off set, decided not to go back to long beach. And I moved into a gay resort camp Palm Springs for four months. From then I started to reside here and that was in 2004. Okay. But I shot, I did porn until 2011. So I kind of backtracked a little bit. Okay. Um, and I stayed out here and I lived at a place behind CCBC. It was called the Black Palms Apartments. It's a clothing optional apartment place. Oh. I lived there and did escorting and porn and all that for till 2011. Just stop for a second. So I think we had a gap here. So you had a point where you said everybody knew I was gay, but I didn't. And now you're doing porn. What was your coming out process? Oh my COVID, I'd love to hold more yeah. down to that. <laughs> yeah, that's your, I want, I want the, the deal. All right. So my dad didn't know I was gay until I was in the hospital. And he went to, oh. go, he went to pack up my uh, stuff, my clothes. And he saw pictures of my partner and I, who we lived together, and all over my apartment. And um, he didn't say anything until later. And I'm like, I need to tell him because I know we saw the pictures. I knew he did. And he didn't talk to me for a week. And then called me and said, I love you. You're my only son. And, you know, how can we fix this? Cool. And that was how I kind of came out. And my sister cried and said, you're going to do drugs and die of AIDS. And, you know, just all the stereotypes. Did your sister not have a clue that you were gay either? No one did. Really? I mean, in school, they made fun of me. They called me. But I guess I, I've relaxed a lot more since I've been out. But... No, I always had girlfriends, like cover-up girlfriends, you know, I guess. Um, I thought I liked girls, too. I even made fun of gay people, you know what I mean? But right. I grew up in a very conservative town, so they're all like Trumpers, my family. And you know what I mean? That's what I grew right. up with. I used to speak on my c- civics class. I used to be able to speak on the Republican side all the time. Like Really? Yeah. So that's just how I was raised. But Okay, get out. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> now I mean, I know I was to the truth. Right. You know what I mean? But... Huh. Um, but that's how it was. Yeah. Um, well, what, what did you say to yourself? I'm gay. You understood who you were. 
Oh God, probably. I don't even like to call myself because I would still be with a girl now. I mean, I don't consider myself completely. I don't consider myself bisexual. I don't consider myself anything. I just consider so myself. You like labels. I like to see a soul, and if I fall for that right. soul, that's what I like. You know what I mean? I don't. It just happens to be in male form lately, and I haven't been with a girl since I was twenty three or twenty four. So that's lot, been a, that's been a whole decade. Twenty four is a big age. <laughs> so so yeah. So okay. So now we'll flip back. You're in Palm Springs. I'm in Palm Springs now. Right. Okay. So you're in Palm Springs. When did you start training and getting into what you do now? Um, I started training when I was nineteen, um, and now I am at the Dwarls Gym. I started there in two thousand and seven. Okay. And I've been training there ever since. In between, I worked at like Tropical for a few years. Um, and do you still go there? I don't go there, but I do love Rance and Tony a ton still. They're okay. they're a big part of my life and my story. They believed in me and I was down on my lowest and still did. I mean, after COVID, Rance called and asked me if I wanted my job back. Um, wow, cool. Yeah, so they're really good guys to me. Any, so then I started working at the gym, teaching spin, a fitness trainer, and I was super busy before COVID. And then um, COVID obviously like it did the most things, and especially gym things broke it and now i'm at the gym and i but sometimes i feel like uh i don't know i don't think it's all about me but i feel like i don't get i watch how some of the trainers are with each other and i'm never really included any of that which is fine i'm like a black sheep kind of there i think do you know why i think a lot of people because i had an ad up in rent boy and i had i don't know maybe they taught i don't know i don't know to be honest and it could be me because i don't really go i'm as outgoing i'm very uh introvert i think you would say um when i go to a party i like stand in the corner because if i don't know anybody but if i do know you i'll talk your ear off right because if i don't know people i'm very shy and very secluded um huh. but there are people there that i love at the gym i like i love jill i love chris lewis like you know what i mean other people i don't really know so i don't really right well it seems to be a lot of trainers around there there is and i mean i have fun when i train people it's usually we're laughing i make sure we have a good time i want them to look forward to coming to the gym not to have work right. Right. Um, so, so are your are most your guys like retirement age guys your clients? The most part, yeah. I have one twenty five year old that I haven't had him in a while, and I had one girl. I had two girls, now I have one girl, and the rest are all guys. Yeah, probably. Leave. Wait, there's a twenty five year old in Papa Springs. I know, right? Yeah, like, <laughs> the boy <laughs> unicorn. <laughs> no, it's disappeared. So, um, and then yeah, most of my. I mean, then at anywhere between. 45 to 73 probably are my ages that i have there okay so yeah and that's my story for now i mean it's always something different every day happens but uh, you know i try to take everything with a grain of salt i try to learn from all my experiences i try not to bitch and complain about the card that i was dealt with some of my life i just learn from it and i don't want to ever hear anyone else be negative or depressed about their life because we all have our right. issues that we've got to deal with and no one has a right to judge anybody for what they choose or what they do in life seems like there's a lot of that here i try to keep my thoughts to myself or to some clients that i have <laughs> we write our thoughts but i you know it's it is what it is life is challenging or it's as challenging as you want to make it you know what i mean and right. you can make it easy or you can stay positive i always learned that um having a positive attitude positive things are going to happen you always talk negative it's like this the secret i guess i always say yeah. If you have bad thoughts, yeah. bad shit's going to happen all the time. So you watched that DVD? I did see that DVD. Yeah. yeah I, I watched it early on. I really liked it. Yeah, it is. And I believe it's true. I mean, well, we, it's a law of attraction. It is. Yeah. And you keep all, oh, well, was, I can't believe my mom died. Oh, I was paralyzed. Oh, I had a drug addict. If I did that all the time, all this bad shit would happen to me. But I try to turn right. all the negative into positive and just, you know, and live life the best oh. you can. I mean, of course, I have my dark days. 
and I'm on I'm supposedly bipolar too. And I'm on my medication. My, oh, really? My happy pills, I call it. <laughs> <laughs> and I probably have to be on them for the rest of my life, but it's it's fine. I mean, it keeps me level, so I don't want to be. I get just like everyone else. I have depression, and I don't want to get out of bed some days, but. You know, and I don't, but huh. I have really good clients that have become really good friends and they all watch out for me, which is great, I think. And are you single now? I am single. I've had two relationships. One, my ex committed suicide oh, wow. in 2016. And then that was one other story. And then my mom, uh, my mom, excuse me. And then the other one was just uh, the other three, my long relationships, three years. I'm almost 50. It's kind of sad that I've only had two of those. But I think it's a lot of it has to do with, watching my mom, all that other stuff. So hopefully someday I'll meet somebody. <laughs> It'll be the right one for me. Wow. Yeah. And, and you have a cat. And I have a cat. I have Stella. Um, Stella and my other cat, Baxter, I had to put her down after 16 years last Christmas. And that was probably oh, the hardest wow. thing. It's even harder than, hate to say this mom, but it's harder than losing my mother. Wow. Because I loved that cat so much. And just like losing an R, I'll start crying if I think about it. So then I got Stella two or three weeks after and everyone's like you're not I'm, i'll never get over baxter baxter was part of my life big time and um i probably went through a lot with you yeah she did and i go um yeah. anyway <laughs> i just think of um stella is now she, she's just turned one so yeah that's it and she is she the boss lady of the house she does of course we're, <laughs> well, i don't think she thinks we're equals i think she thinks she's above me but I don't, I'd spoil her, but that's why you have cat, an animal, I guess. She fetches, she comes when I call her, taught her to be like a dog. I think she th thinks she's a dog. Which that's is amazing, because I've had cats, and they don't do that. I've trained her, that's little training. <laughs> Next is the I don't know how you train a cat to do that. It's you like, give her a treat it's every like, time you throw a toy and she won't crack, and then let's, and then, okay. And then I have toilet trainings next for her. So next. Yeah. I'm teaching her how to go potty on the toilet. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. I you're going to teach her how to flush? Some of them know how. This I, is I, I put, I've seen that. I don't think she can do that. Oh, that, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I don't think they'd have enough strength to do that. No. That's kind of wild. No. So, wow. So, I assume since the law of attraction, the stuff you mentioned and things happen and you learn from it. So, do you have regrets in your life? Um, I don't because it helped me to be the person I am today. I mean, right. of course, I wish things would have been different for me. I wish I would have never got caught up in drugs. I wish, um, I don't because I've all of actually not, I don't because it'll make me be who I am today. And right. I do like who I am today. I don't love who I am today, but I like who I am today. And it's always a work in progress, right? right. Well, great. A couple times you said a lot's another story. So maybe we need a sequel to this some, <laughs> one of these days, but, uh, thank you so much for coming in. It's, it's really great meeting you for the first time and uh, talking to you. Oh, thank you for showing interest in me. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks, Benny. Thanks.